let's, let's just jump in here. You know, Matthew 7, if you want to turn there, Matthew 7, verse number 13. I just want to kind of, this is a passage the Spirit has been dealing with me about for some time, and, and it's a very challenging one, and, and it's been very challenging to try to sort through it, and it's coming out, come out in different areas in life and ministry, different studies, but I guess it kind of answers the question, you know, why, why do we do all the th- these things that we're talking about this morning, right? Like, why are we carrying boxes in? Why are we sharing tests? Why are we going to Michigan? You know, why are we doing the things that we're doing? And sometimes it may be that question, you know, I know it, uh, there's a lot of things going on and, and uh, such a, a blessed thing to see, but the reason why we do it, I think Jesus explains it for us here in the book of Matthew. And I was trying to explain it to my kids last night uh, out of Matthew chapter 9. You know what he said? The, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, it's the, it's the workers, right? So it's, it's never an issue. Like we know that the harvest is always going to be there. Uh, it's plentiful, even in Jesus's time and as well as in our time today. But it's, uh, it's, it's those that will go out and share Jesus. The workers are few is what Jesus. So he says, pray that the Lord would send out workers into the, to the harvest. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of the thing that really, really hits me hard. And it probably hits all of us hard is, and I was trying to explain it to, to my kid. I said, you know, we, there are so many people that need Jesus. And Zaley said, I said, you know, I talked to you because I talked to her, maybe a big word for an eight-year-old, but you got to be an ambassador at your school, Zaley, right? You know, you all say that to your eight-year-olds, right? Go be an ambassador for Jesus, right? And so I said, you got to be an ambassador. And I said, you know, they, they need to hear Jesus. And she said, but it's just hard. And I said, yeah, I know. I know. I know it's hard sometimes. But I said, you know, the, the bigger reality than that is this is that that person represents a soul. And that, per- that soul is going to spend eternity somewhere. And, you know, it's hard. I try to be softer a little bit, maybe, than what I am now with the eight-year-old. But I'm just telling, you know, the severity, the, the, uh, how important the task is that workers are going out into the harvest, it just cannot be spoken enough. How important it is that we're taking the gospel out to the world, every opportunity that God gives us, and that world also means in Fairfield, in Hamilton, in Coleraine, in our general area as well. It is of mass importance because there is eternity to pay one way or the other depending on the decision that people make for Jesus Christ. And that's just not, that's not, and, and when I was in school, you know, it was, and, and some of us will say, well, it's hard, and it is hard, and we may be nervous, and we may be out of our comfort zone, but it's eternity, right? So, so for me, the conviction comes, and I think I, I can be a little uncomfortable for a while if maybe that person gets a seed planted or is transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ for all eternity. I can be uncomfortable for a little bit for that. But in Matthew, this is what, Matthew chapter 7, this has really jumped out, and I have a lot more that I feel like I probably could say, but we're going to try to keep it very direct this morning. In verse number 13, it says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And this is, this is what really hit me hard and few there be that find it few 
And you know, I was thinking about this because in America, I was looking up some statistics and the, the Christianity, uh, professed Christianity is in decline in America, unfortunately. And this particular study said that something like 64% of America was still professing Christians. And you know, when you see that number, it's millions, billions, it's a large number of people that are professing to be Christians. And then I come back to what Jesus says and he says, and, and few there be that find it. And it just kind of hit me in the moment that maybe, maybe all those that are professing Christianity are not actually Christians after all. And you know, you say, well, you know, why do we, you know, there are people around here know and people in my uh, subdivision or in my neighborhood, well, they, they know, they, they call themselves Christian, they know the story and all of these things. And, and that may be the reality that they know, but they may not know him. You see, so it's, it, it's the urgency there that Jesus himself says that there is a broad way and there's a lot of people that find that. It's not hard to say you're a Christian. It's, it's not hard uh, to even sometimes to show up at church. It's really not hard, right, to do those things. But what is very challenging and impossible on our own is to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus is impossible because in following Jesus, he says, you will be persecuted. They will hate you. And he says all the, like following Jesus. And sometimes we disconnect the concept of Christianity with the Savior that it identifies you with. And so you, you're fine to follow Christianity, but if that Christianity isn't following Christ, is it really Christianity after all? And we read, as you read on down, and I read this in verse number 21 of the same chapter. It says this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Not everyone that saith, this is, I haven't been able to shake this, not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, but he that does the will of my Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I mean, that just hit me like a ton of bricks because they come to him and they know his name. They identify him in what they call him as God, right? Lord, Lord, like you are the one in control. We have done good things. We've cast out demons. We've prophesied in your name like we have done things and we're calling you by the right name. And Jesus said, but I don't know you. You know the right things to call me. You know that you're supposed to do good works. You know information about me, but I don't know you, you see? Because following Christ is a relationship, right? A relationship is not a one-sided thing. It takes both sides. So for you and I to just say, and I know what I should be doing and to, and to spout facts about him, the, the bigger thing is, does Jesus know you? Does he know? Are, are you in an, a relationship with him personally or do you just know facts about him? 
You see, I think a lot of times, and I shared this on Wednesday night, a lot of times we can be enamored with Jesus in the same way we would be with famous people. Where when we're growing up especially, we, we learn all the facts about the famous people. We know when their birthdays are. We know things they've went through in their life. We know their names, and we call it out. And we can speak about it intelligently because we've just been caught up in them. And so we, we go and we propagate that to all around us. And, but do we really know that person? No. We can talk about them like we know them, but do they know who we are? No. And I think in, in our culture, in the world today, Jesus said, look, there's straight and narrow few that find it. He said, look, I never knew you. So that there are those today, I think, in, in our culture. And the danger is that there are a lot of people, I think, that know facts about him that will, will get there one day I'm afraid of, I'm really afraid of, and will say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, but I didn't know you. Yes, you did good things. Yes, you went to church. Yes, you, you helped those that were in need. Yes, you did this and that. But listen, I, there's no relationship here. And so I want to I submit to you this uh, this morning. Salvation is not on our terms. It's on his. So... A lot of times what we try to do in the church is we try to create our own version. Like, you know, the whole come and say a prayer. Repeat after me. And then some person will say, well, you're saved. But who, t who says whether you're saved or not? Jesus does, right? We, I, I don't have any, I, I hope, right? I mean, I have, I have good intentions and I hope that's the case, but how many people do you think have been under false pretense when they've grown up in life because someone one day said, okay, you are saved when they didn't understand, they just repeated a prayer, they had an idea of who he was, but didn't know him personally, and they went the rest of their life thinking, well, I'm okay because somebody told me I was one day long ago. I want to tell you, the only way that you, he's the only one that can tell you that. Because it's a relationship with him. As bad as I would want to, I don't know where your heart is. I've had many people in my life and in ministry that will tell me all the things that I want to hear, only to find out that's not the way they're living life. And so I don't know your heart. But he does. We, salvation is not according to what Daniel says or any of us say. It's according to what Jesus, the Son of God, says. And so in Matthew 8, just a chapter over, and as all these pieces of the puzzle come together, it's really, really amazing. This is what it says, and I think this is what happens too often, and, I, and the Lord has really been convicting me about this. In verse number 19, it says, And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And you see, initially there is this eager, this scribe runs to him. There's an eagerness for so many to follow Jesus because the concept is good. It's a good idea. It's a good thing to do. Someone died for me. They can save my soul from hell. Okay. It's a good concept. And so the eagerness here, but once Jesus starts saying what his terms are and what the expectation is, what you find is a lot of people go in a different direction. So, so he runs with, I just picture, Master, I will follow thee. Jesus says, and you are familiar with this, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And so Jesus says it's not going to be easy. I don't even know where I'm always going to lay my head. And he lets them know up front of the challenges that are going to come as a result of truly following Jesus. 
truly following him. So here comes another one. And another of the disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Another disciple comes and says, I will follow you wherever you go. But let me accomplish my agenda first and then I'm all yours. How, many, how often is that the case? How often do we say and call ourselves a Christian, but the agenda that leads the way in a life is our own agenda? Lord, I, I know that I need to serve you. I know I need to be in church. I know I need to worship, but I've got a busy schedule, and you've got to understand I've got games, I've got work, I'm, I'm tired, I've got all this. So, so I, I do want to follow you, Jesus, but, but let me just get my stuff situated, and then I'm all yours. Or, Jesus, I, I want to follow you, but I've, got, I've lived a very bad life. I've got a lot of sins, so let me situate myself, and then once I get right, then I'll come and follow you. The, the, the guy runs up to him and he's like, hey, I, another disciple, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. He said, when it all, when the rubber meets the road, he said, I still got my agenda to take care of before I'm ready to follow you. And whether or not that we would mention it or not, I'm afraid that that's sometimes how we treat Jesus in our following him. You see that stark contrast with when he asked his disciples to follow. What did the disciples leave in following Jesus? Wasn't a single thing left, right? Other than Jesus. They left family, they left jobs. In that moment, if ever there's a, what an expectation that the Savior has when it means follow him, they left everything in that moment and they walked after Jesus. That, that is, that is Jesus' example of what it means to follow him. And here, as, as he begins to say, and, and Jesus even says, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. In Matthew 6, the same area, 33, said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So in the same context that Jesus says, follow me and I must be number one and you must walk after me, he also says, I'm gonna take care of everything else, but you gotta lay it down at my feet and come after me first. You see, I'll take care of all that stuff. All the stuff, you gotta believe, one day we're gonna stand before God and we're gonna give an account because we all will, right? And we're gonna see our lives and be broken by myself and be broken by the moments when I had my own agenda inserted in place of where Christ should have been. And he's going to say, Daniel, I could just, I don't know if he's going to say this. I told you I would take care of that if you would have just come after me first. And we're going to give an account for those things. Secondly, as, as, as you go in chapter 8 and we go on down to the very end, we find Jesus. I want, I want you to see this other example. We find Jesus in verse number 28 uh, casting out demons. And, and you know this story, the, the Gadarene demon, demonic possessed guys and at the tombs. And when he was come, in verse number 28, to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, 
they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from there a herd of many swine. You all know this story, feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into their herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd of the swine ran violently down a steep place into the water and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. The swine represented the livelihood of the people of the community, didn't they? So Jesus cast the demons out, but you know, it's such a contrast here because you've got two guys, souls represented there, demonically possessed that all the town could do nothing with. Nobody could. They had cast them out of town. They had chained them. Like they were out, out of sight, out of mind. They could not help them. But Jesus came and helped them the way that, the perfect way, the right way, the way in which no one else could, but in him helping them, it affected the livelihood of the people in the town. So instead of welcoming Jesus in because he's just healed and cured these, they cast Jesus out because he affected their livelihood. You know, again, when it comes to following Jesus, how many times is lively, our livelihood, our means, our work, our means of, how many times does our stuff get in the way of our following him? You see, we want it on our terms. Like, we want it, I'm afraid, too often. And I don't know if it's anyone in here, but I'm afraid too often we want it with this mentality. Like, I, I do want to follow you. I don't want to uh, be part from God forever. I want to know salvation, but I really don't want to be uncomfortable. So, Jesus, if you could kind of work that out. Like, like, I want to follow you, but I, I really don't want you to, to ask me to stretch myself. I don't want you to ask me to give my stuff away because I got really cool stuff. <laughs> and we want to follow him according to our terms and not his. It is a tragedy for me to see a heartbreaking event, to see Jesus come and heal people but because it affected their stuff, they asked him to leave. It's almost like they didn't even see the fact that people's lives were just transformed. All they saw was our stuff was affected. Jesus, would you please leave? And sometimes my fear is, as I read about the way being narrow and few find it, as I read about those who are going to come and say, Lord, Lord, he, and, and say, I did all these cool things. I did, I prophesied, I cast out demons, and he says, I, but I never knew you. My, my fear is, is that so many times we can follow a concept of a glorious Savior and not the Savior himself. Who wouldn't want to follow someone that rose from the dead? Who wouldn't want to follow someone that loved as much as Jesus loved? But it's not about following the idea of who Jesus is. It's about following him intimately, personally, every step of the way. It's not about just you knowing who Jesus is. It's about does Jesus know who you are? 
Does Jesus have a relationship with you? Does he understand that you're in a, you know, he said, my sheep know my voice. And the only way that that's possible is there has to be both sides, right? Like it's not just one, it's got to be both. Uh, and so he says, listen, it's, it's a relationship. And I can't imagine, can you imagine how terrifying it would be to get there and think that everything is exactly what it needed to be only to hear Jesus say, I didn't know you. But you know what the devil is really good at? Deceiving people into thinking they do. And you and I so easily will say, well, someone told me one day uh, that, that I was saved. So easily we will take what happened maybe one day in our life and we will hold on to that for the rest of our lives. And never go back and see, never go back and, and evaluate, never go back and just be intimate with him and just, just spend that time. We will carry the day. But it's not a day, it's a life, right? He doesn't say follow me for a day. He said follow me forever. There's no end to that. And so I am, I, I went from Job and God led me to here with this and I, I believe that it's because there are so many that are in the world today, especially in our American culture, who have been sold this concept that if you call yourself a Christian or if you do good things or if you know facts about him, then you're good and you can move on with something else. When the Bible says that's not true, you have to follow Jesus follow him so you can have knowledge about him and that's great but but the bigger thing is are you following him are you are you walking after him or are you like these other folks that we see inserting your agenda inserting your livelihood and your materialism and then saying that i want to be good for you over here but don't mess with this because when that's our mentality that tells me that we're not surrendered and truly following with all because when you surrender, you're giving it all over to do with what he wants. And there's no better one that you can do that with than Jesus Christ. There's no one that's gonna love you and care for you and walk beside of you like him. And as, as, as we live life, that is the glorious thing about Jesus is that it doesn't matter where you find yourself, you follow him and he is Lord, but man, he is such a good lover of your soul, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's, he just nurtures and he cares and he speaks to you and he encourages you when you need, he, he, he disciplines you when you need it, like he is such a good lover of your soul. But I think for us this morning, as the Lord just shares it, is we need to know that we're following him and make sure that we're not in love with a concept. We need to make sure that we're not in love with a title. I'm a Christian. You saying you're a Christian does not make you a Christian. Your relationship with Christ makes you a Christian. Your relationship that says, I'm going to follow you wherever you would go. 
So I don't, I don't know, you know, it's, it's so amazing. I've been greatly convicted by this because, uh, you know, as we minister and we go out and we send boxes and we go to Michigan and we go and, and evangelize in our community, this is what we don't want. People that we have in our area of influence that will go to God one day and say, Lord, Lord, and he says, I'll never knew you. We don't want to be the reason why someone doesn't know the truth about what it means to follow Jesus. We want to make sure that we bring abundantly, abundant, uh, that we abundantly make it clear that it is a relationship and you must follow him and we don't sell it short just because we're a little uncomfortable or because we don't want to, or because we're too busy, because we have too much going on. Like we want them to know who Jesus is. We want them to know. And church, I want you to know who Jesus is. And I, I don't live in the land of assumption. I do in some areas. But in this area, I don't. I don't live in the land of assumption that everybody that sits in church knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior and is a follower of his. Because I just don't think that's always the case. And so the, the, the key is for me this, is that you, you've, got to, you've got to know him intimately, not just one-sided relationship. He needs to know you too. He needs to have a relationship with you. You need to be following him. It is not enough to claim things. We have to know him. And if you constantly realize in your life that other things are taking the place of Christ, then that's an issue too, right? He has to be number one. And for those that are in here uh, that, that may know him and may truly be following him, and, and like my eight-year-old daughter said, I, it's hard. Uh, there are moments when it's hard, but listen, Jesus is worth it, right? I mean, it's worth it to, when it gets hard. It's worth it to share Christ always. It's worth it to let his love overflow from your life onto the life of all around you because Jesus is everything, and he's worth it. Even when it gets hard, even when it gets uncomfortable, even when the culture says, I don't want you to say the name, it's the name that needs to be said. He is worth it. But we have to follow him. So as we have an invitation this morning, here's, here's the challenge. I just would ask, it's not, a, it's not an effort to make anyone doubt their salvation. I just want to be clear about that. But I do want you to know where you stand with Christ. For me, it's, a, it's an evaluation time. Every year, it's an evaluation time. How, Jesus, have I been pleasing to you this year? What, what would you have me to do differently? Where, where do I stand? What do I need to repent of? It's a constant evaluation time. Why? Because I'm sinful. I make mistakes. I get off track. I go this way when he wanted me to go this way. I think I'm doing right when he said, no, I want you to do this. Like, that's just, I, I fall short. But I know that Jesus deserves my best. He deserves my all. So Lord, help me to see where I've been failing. And a lot of times before I even ask, I already know, right? I know. But if we never take the time to evaluate and spend those intimate moments with Christ, if we always live in the assumption, you know what? I'm exactly where I need to be. 
How many opportunities might we miss that he would have for us? Does that mean that some people will end up up there before him only to find out that he never knew them? I think it's worth just spending some time at his feet weekly, daily, right? And making sure and and going to him and saying, what do you have for me today? Show me, Lord. Show me my sin so that I can repent. Show me where I'm off track so that I can get on. Show me what you would have me for do to do, even though I may be uncomfortable. I want to do it because you're worthy. A life poured out because his was a life poured out for us. Let's not live in the realm of assumption. We can know because he is faithful. We can know. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Father, sometimes I don't, I don't always understand everything. It's hard to articulate all that you share. But Lord Jesus, I thank you for being faithful to tell us about these terrifying moments when people will think that they're one thing and they're not. So that we do spend time with you, we do evaluate, we do think about where we stand. Because you love us. You you want a relationship with us. You've given your life for us. And Lord, I, I, I pray that we would be a church and a people that really do just follow you. Not in word only, but in each and every step that we take. Lord, help us not to be prideful and say, well, we don't need to rethink. We don't need to look at that. We don't need, Lord, help us just to be humble. And just realize there may be areas, there may be moments, there may be wrong paths taken. And Father, we would rather make them right now. I just pray that your spirit would have its way in this place and Thank you for this word, even though it's very hard, Lord. Thank you for sharing the hard things with us, too. Because we need that. Lord, we just love you. Thank you so much for loving us so well. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.